we do welcome you to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. My name is Richard Durrington, and your host, as always, is Fred. October has been a month of joy and encouragement in the celebration of our first anniversary. Our focus will change slightly. God's comfort is our intention. When our greatest need is solace, it awaits us in the Word of God. The Bible does not aggrandize the lives of biblical characters, yet they are examples of consolation in the deepest valleys of sorrow. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Thank you again for joining us in our October month of celebration, one-year anniversary of the podcast, as you well know. So we've been looking all month into God's Word for His encouragement through His Word and the comfort that comes to our souls through His Word as well. And we're getting close to the end of October, to the end of our month of celebration, and getting back to a regular schedule. Through the feedback that I've been getting and the joy that comes to me as I do the podcasts, It does seem appropriate that our regular schedule after the end of October is going to look like, and these are going to be our goals, is one regular episode a week, and then one devotional a week. And then I would also like to look at the comfort from God's Word as well. And that might be a good element for us to also add to our podcast, Comfort from God's Word. And I do want to thank you again for listening. I'm grateful for that. That's why this celebration And I'm also grateful to God for allowing me to do the podcast. It is a joy for me. And when I do get feedback, I just love that as well. So thank you for that. The reality is I love God's word. It's just magnificent. It feeds our souls. And it's so precise and so profound. We can find in it the help we need as we walk by faith. And whatever help we need, we can find. Now, we've been examining the last few days the lives of Sarah and Abraham, their life together. And we've been seeking through their stories comfort, comfort from the Holy God of the universe to our own souls. I have read their story before, and you probably have as well. And we could read it, and most of the time we do read it, or at least I've read it like this. They had promises from God. They did some sinful things. And then God came through with their promised son after many years. And then we could clap our hands together like we've seen, you know, and say, done and done. We're done with their story. But as we have examined their story this time, not only just the story, not only just the broad strokes, but the real stresses and the mix of emotions which led them to their decisions, we've seen from God's word some very impactful insights. Now, we looked at the joy of Sarah at the birth of Isaac. We also looked at her sorrow when she got the results of her actions in the flesh, which were in the flesh. So we've seen the joy that she had in the moment when Isaac was born in her life. And then we've also seen the joy, the wonderful legacy that Sarah left. We entered into her joy with her, taking courage and hope for a godly legacy ourselves. We want a godly legacy for our own. And she's a great example of that. And we looked at the scripture on that in the New Testament for her as well. Definitely a woman to be emulated. And then yesterday, we opened up the book of Genesis 
and took great courage from the life of Abraham, her husband, and our encouragement and comfort came when we realized that our lives, like Abraham, are not a set of snapshots of our failures and not even a set of snapshots of our successes, but our lives are a feature film. That film covers the whole spectrum of our lives of faith, and we can take great courage from Abraham, who is, after all, the father of us all. He's a father of everyone who has faith. We can expect our lives, in the end, to also be trophies of faith all throughout eternity. Now, not trophies for our glory, but for his, and yet we know in our souls, as we read about Abraham, that God is working, and he's working in ways we can't even understand. And we can and should take great comfort in the thoroughness of God's faithfulness. And we can take joy, or at least rest, in knowing that the God we love, who has shown us also mercy upon mercy, is the same unchanging God who worked in Abraham's life. And there's much comfort in that. As we have talked together the last few days especially, we know that when we are in despair, and it doesn't matter how long the duration or even if it rises or lowers in this case to outright depression, whether it's a long time or a short time, sometimes in our struggle, we don't exactly know why. And we can hearken back to our quote from Spurgeon. And he admitted to crying and crying like a little child and not knowing why. And if you're like me, there have been times in my life when that was the case. And we might even think worse yet are those snapshots that we talked about yesterday those snapshots of failure, when we made spiritually unhealthy and sinful decisions, and we received what we wanted, and once we got that, we realized it was not satisfying at all, or even what we truly needed. And we saw this especially in Sarah's life. But either way, when we're feeling blue and we're feeling sad, whether we know why or don't know why, as we examine the life of Abraham, his life gives us great reason for solace and hope and the realization that God is sufficient for everything we need. Now, I'm excited in the years to come, as God wills, in the years to come for us to look from time to time at the sufficient grace of God. And it's innumerable in the Bible, Old and New Testament. But today, we want to look and see how God's work in Abraham's life soothes our souls. And just quickly, Abraham was given a solution to his childlessness. And that's a real word. I looked it up. But he was given that solution by Sarah, his wife, and she gave Hagar, her maid, to have a surrogate baby. And you know that story, and we've touched on it as well. So Abraham took the given solution, and it seemed that the goal of working through the flesh worked for him. But we saw from Sarah's life the very distressing results of her actions. And on the other hand, Abraham seems to have been all in with his son Ishmael. And he was his son. We have to remember that. But the first thing that we can see is the last thing, actually, we saw yesterday from his story. In Genesis 17, 8, as God promises Abraham, a son born of Sarah, Abraham, if you recall, cries out, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Now, as we read the Bible and we look into the lives of the people in the Bible, it's almost like we're looking from a high tower when I was a kid and playing football and the technology isn't what it is today, they had these great big towers that the coaches would stand up on and watch the players play. And from that perspective, we can see a lot more details and we can see a lot more of the intricacy of how things work. 
And when we look at Abraham, we're looking at that viewpoint, scripturally speaking. And we might have a hard time understanding why Abraham would want Ishmael to be that son that God said he would give him. But actually, it is understandable because we see in Ishmael and Abraham, and Ishmael was about 13 years old at this point in time, and Abraham raised him, and he was his son. He wasn't Sarah's, but he was Abraham's. And so at this point in time, Abraham had a son. He had been waiting 11 years for the promise of a son, and now he had one, and he had a son that he could touch and hug and love. He had a son who was flesh and blood. The problem, however, is Ishmael was not only a son in the flesh, but he was a son of the flesh. And as we think about Abraham and that cry and the reasons that he wanted Ishmael, at least in that moment, to be his son, the son of promise, think about the the widow of Zarephath. And she was ready, if you recall, to make her last meal. She had enough oil and enough flour to make one last meal for her and her son, and then die. And even that harkens back to our exhortation of a few days ago, to give God one more day. But as you recall, the widow was asked by the prophet for some food, for dinner. And he said to her, make me dinner first, and then don't worry about the results. How hard would that be if we were asked to give our very last dinner to someone else, in effect to God? And she did. And as you recall, the miracle was... Until the famine was over, she never ran out of oil or flour. It was just there whenever she needed it. But she certainly didn't know that beforehand, and she certainly couldn't have expected that. So as we see Abraham's struggle, we understand that it's hard to give up the one thing you have in front of you. So Abraham had a son. Abraham wanted Ishmael to be the son of promise. But Abraham didn't understand what was going on. He didn't understand even... Sarah's distress as it pertains to Ishmael. Now, I'm sure that for Sarah, this was unsatisfying, the birth of Ishmael. I know it was. And she had to be thinking to herself, this cannot be the promise. This is not what God wanted to give us. But Abraham pushed through. But we find support for Abraham and his lack of sensitivity when it came to Sarah and Ishmael. And we see that his love for his son Ishmael may have clouded his perception of this son of the flesh. Genesis then tells us that after Isaac was born and he started to grow up, well, let's read the verse. This is Genesis 21.9. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking, and he was mocking Isaac at the time. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly. Actually, that verse is very clear. Abraham was distressed when he had to kick Ishmael out. He loved his boy. But Abraham did drive out Hagar and Ishmael. And God, he did it on the impetus of God as well. And God promised him that Ishmael would be okay. But it was still hard for Abraham. And we can understand that as we've seen. And God, again, did his will. He accomplished his divine will. And he kept his word and moved redemptive history forward. This was all in his plan for the salvation of mankind. Now, we've talked about before, and we know it's true biblically. We have full confidence and comfort in knowing that he will accomplish his will as well. 
and that he's working for our good and his glory, but let's examine together a little more closely Abraham's life and see just how much our souls can be comforted as we wait on God. And we're going to see how deeply God blessed and protected Abraham. And the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is blessing and protecting us as well. Now, God protected Abraham on several levels. First, Ishmael was not the son of promise. God had made promises, specifically to Abraham and Sarah, about their son. In their distress, though, they didn't see that son for a long time. And on some level, their long, long wait motivated them to help God out a little bit. The birth of Ishmael could not at all have felt like the fulfillment of their long-awaited promise. And it wasn't. Hagar was never intended to be the instrument of God's promise. God is going to show his power and his care. Now, if you're married at all, or if you grew up in a household, which most of us did, we realize that if there is distress and sorrow in the household, it affects everybody. And we have seen this in the life of Sarah. And certainly for Sarah, this is not the promise of God. She knew it wasn't. Now, Ishmael may have been a competent man. We're going to look at his character in just in a few minutes. And it was obvious that Abraham spent time with him and raised him, and as we said, loved him. But again, he was Abraham's son and not Sarah's. And if we look again at Abraham's call in Genesis 17:18, our understanding becomes fuller as we realize that from Abraham's perspective, Ishmael was the son of promise. He moved forward as Ishmael would be his only son. But we can think through this and realize what would have been the natural results had God said, okay, you can have Ishmael as your son. You wanted this. You went to extraordinary measures to get this. So he's yours. He's the only one you get. Live with it. But obviously God didn't do that. He was too merciful to do that to Abraham. Abraham circumcised Ishmael as one of his permanent household members. But again, we understand that God is faithful and that he wasn't leaving Abraham to his own decisions, his own flesh. And we don't even have to mention the biblical example of Jacob and all his family and all his family troubles that all stemmed from the fact that he did not fulfill God's law. And even Jesus reiterated this when he said, God made them male and female, and the two shall become one flesh. Jacob didn't live by it, and his household was troubled. And we also see from Genesis 16 two things that show clearly the consequence of Abraham and Sarah acting in the flesh. And Hagar, this is what the Bible says, and Hagar, having Abraham's baby, despised her mistress, Sarah, and she fled. And remember we talked about the cultural pressure that was on Sarah? Because of that, not only did Sarah have to look on Hagar having Abraham's baby, but Hagar then despised her because she could have a baby and Sarah couldn't. And as a result, Hagar fled. And when God came to her and told her to go back, she told the Lord that she was fleeing her mistress. The two women were not happy, either one of them. And that couldn't have made Abraham ultimately comfortable. But back to Abraham's attitude about Ishmael, that he thought of him and wanted him to be the son of promise in that moment. Let's compare and contrast a little bit. And we want to start with Genesis 16:12, where God describes Ishmael's character. And it says this, and this is God talking, And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east 
of all his brothers. Whatever Ishmael displayed to Abraham as he was growing up, sooner or later, his nature would have taken over. He was the man as God described him. Now, just having a son like that would be enough trouble of its own, wouldn't it? Some of us have experienced that as well. Trying to raise an out-of-control child is difficult. Living with an out-of-control child is difficult. And if you just think about this and compare him to Isaac, can you imagine the fight that Abraham would have had on his hands trying to get Ishmael to Moriah to the sacrifice? As we read the story, Isaac got up with his dad. Isaac carried the wood for the fire without questioning. From God's description of Ishmael, pretty sure that that wouldn't have happened. Living with the son of the flesh, with that son of the flesh, would have been a long, miserable life. Ishmael fought with everybody, and everybody fought with him. And can you imagine Sarah and Hagar with Ishmael in the middle? That would be a very unpeaceful life, a very hard life for Abraham, if he had got his wish that Ishmael would stand before God. And in that same contrast, we mentioned yesterday that Isaac was a very consistent and stable man of faith, for the most part anyway. He did use his wife for bait once as well. We also saw that he was a son of a very dynamic father and the father of a very dynamic son. But until the very end of his life, Isaac didn't live with the same strife that Abraham or Jacob lived. And I find it very interesting that Isaac was completely faithful to Rebekah his whole life. And he not only had no other wives, but he had no other concubines either. Think about that for just a little bit. So we see that God protected Abraham. Not only was Ishmael not the promised son, but he wouldn't have been a good son. It wouldn't have been a peaceful household. So God showed his faithfulness in Isaac and protected Abraham, even against himself, in the long term. What a glory to God that he takes care of us. And we understand that by extension, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he's taking care of us, even when we don't understand it. Now, truly, I'm at a loss to confidently proclaim which of the circumstances that we talked about in the introduction to this is more troubling. I don't know that sinning and being fearful and being sad because our new inner man feels that way when we sinned, made terrible decisions, and being sad because of the consequences that we have to face because of our failure. I don't know if that depression is worse or if, as Spurgeon we find ourselves crying for no reason, being depressed even to the point of saying, please, Lord, I would like to wake up in heaven tomorrow. I am weary. I have experienced both of those conditions. I felt bad over my sin, and I felt bad not even knowing why I felt bad. But I can tell you I do know by Abraham's life that it would have been more, much more peaceful and satisfying if he had waited one more day for God. And I do know that God is good. And I personally made the commitment several years ago to God in prayer using scripture. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
If I have to live with this sadness, I don't understand it, but I do trust you, and I know that the glories to follow will make me forget this time utterly, at least the pain of it. And I can't tell you what to do, and I can't tell you the great and mighty things God has for you and me in this life. And I don't know how long or short we will endure this type of sorrow, but I do know from experience, and more importantly from God's Word, as we've seen highlighted in the life of Abraham, I do know two things. The first, it's better to obey and wait on God than it is to move in our own flesh. I also know, and I can encourage you, that no matter what, it will be okay. And we know when we're in the throes of that depression that sometimes it's just the goal that everything would just be okay. But I can tell you it's going to be better than that, even in this life. We understand by faith that there's nothing too hard for God. So let's pray together. Let's covenant to pray together, believing that He is the God of the impossible, waiting for Him to act. And tomorrow we're going to take another glimpse at just how good God is in His providence. And Monday we're going to see again the comfort of prayer. And we're going to see it in a setting that I'd never noticed before. I'm pretty excited about it. You know I'm praying for you. Until tomorrow, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Free Range Preacher. We hope you enjoyed it and will join us for our next broadcast coming up soon. For Fred and myself, this is Richard Durrington saying, Make it a godly, fun-filled day.